0: Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known is just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and FeelyHuman, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells.
1: Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of Yumi Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and I've had a headache for about two months. Truly, I don't know what's going on. I think it's sinus stuff. I'm telling myself it's not a, it's not a, it's not a tumor. Uh, it's not. It's my sinuses and my and my allergies, and it's just, it's just annoying. Anyways, hi. How are you? Uh, I'm the founder of the Feely Human Collective, which you can learn more about at feelyhuman.co. This is episode 224 with my guest, Rob Volpe. We talk about why empathy is radical. We talk about the change that can happen one conversation at a time, what empathy at work looks like, dismantling judgment in our hearts, and so much more. Rob has written a book called Tell Me More About That. And it's a deep dive into empathy. It's really wonderful, really loved this conversation. We really get into the nitty-gritty of what empathy is. And empathy is messy. Empathy is uncomfortable. Empathy is ongoing and active and brings up a lot of uh, the, the messy nuance that we, as humans, I feel, need to get used to occupying that space mentally, emotionally, physically, we need to get used to the discomfort of that messy, mushy nuance that happens in empathy. Um, and that happens in when we explore our bias and our assumptions, etc. cetera. So really love this conversation. Really appreciate Rob for being on the show and writing this book, Tell Me More About That, which you should order. Links in the show notes at FeelHuman.co couple of things I want to mention before we get to the episode. It's a little over a week uh, left, I think, uh, maybe a week left in the pre-order for Dear Childhood Me, my journal, which um, I've sold at this point uh, over a hundred of them, which feels very exciting. That was, I think, my small little goal I had. So I reached that. That feels good. And I want to sell more. Um, because I think truly in my heart, this little journal, Dear Childhood Me, uh, is a beautiful reminder for the empathy and compassion and looking back that we need to do in our mental health and our self-care journeys and our self-love journeys and our self-awareness journeys. So if you haven't yet ordered a, a journal or if you want to send it to a friend, please do that. Like, maybe send an email this week. That's my challenge to you. Send an email this week uh, with a link, dearchildhoodme.com. And write about, like, why you ordered uh, it. Send it to a friend. Send it to a family member. Um, someone you you think that would benefit from a journal like that. And, and email some, some folks. Or share it on social media. Really... Um, the, the marketing of a thing like this when it's just me is, is you all. And so, I appreciate all of your support and sharing about it. Uh, if you haven't yet figured out what it is, go to dearchildhoodme.com and check it out. It means a lot to me. The other thing I wanted to mention is that I've been thinking about this show and this podcast and what what it means to me. I've been doing it for over four years um and as you can see this is episode 224 been doing it for a while i still love it it still means the world to me and i have been feeling like i want to change it i've been wanting to do something different and i don't know what that looks like and so if you have ideas i would love to hear them truly you can email me you at gmail.com or whatever um but I don't know. I, I I still love having conversation. In fact, I loved this conversation with Rob, and I I you know love all of my conversations. They're all very fruitful, and I learn so much. And it's it's the stuff that you know. I said at the top, change happens one conversation at a time, and I I truly believe that. And I don't know. I I've I'm, I've been feeling like I want to change, and maybe that's the growth that I'm experiencing. Maybe that it's feeling you know, not stale is not the right word, but it's just it's feeling I just want to might I, I want to kind of change. I'm just blathering, but I, I want to change something. So I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it's a deep dive into specific topics um, with experts. You know, that feels like a lot more work on my part, but I don't know if you have any ideas. If something feels good, just email me. You me at gmail dot com. OK, let's get into the episode. Go to dearchildhoodme.com, go to feelyhuman.co, subscribe, rate, review this podcast, please, please, please. That really does help out the show. It's a very simple, free way to to support me and the work I do. I'm also on Patreon, patreon.com slash feelyhuman. Five bucks a month gives you a bonus episode every month uh, uh, with some other stuff. Anywhoozles, let's get to the episode. This is episode 224 on why empathy is radical with Rob Volpe. You,
0: you, you and me, and me, me, empathy empathy empathy, 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 la la la, la 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 la. You.
1: Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we face as humans, trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You Me Empathy is to talk openly, without judgment, about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm in a happy empathy sandwich because I'm here with CEO of Ignite 360, author of "Tell Me More About That," and empathy activist. It's Rob Volpe. Hello, Rob. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness! So happy to have you. Uh, it's uh, it's been a long time coming. I know I had probably, I think had to reschedule this at one point, but I'm glad we're here, we're doing it. We're together in the empathy
2: sandwich together. Absolutely, and you know, there's no rushing divine timing. It all works out when it's supposed to happen. So I'm happy to be here.
1: Happy to have you.
2: First question I have for you, how are you feeling? How am I feeling? Um, You know, I suppose the surface answer would be, I'm good. Things are great um (laughs) book just came out a month ago and it's doing well i've gotten some really great positive feedback on it amazing um but it's a full-time job to promote a book and as you mentioned in the intro i'm also the ceo of this kick-ass marketing research firm so there's a lot of demand on my time um Mm -hmm. trying to manage that And, oh, there's like the world's kind of, you know, in flames. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said Ukraine doesn't weigh on my mind um, and everything happening there. Mm -hmm. Um, So how am I feeling? I I think I'm feeling good, but I do have some, I guess, anxiety about the state of the world we're living in.
1: I empathize with that very, very much. How do you... Sort of manage or reconcile, maybe reconcile is not not the right word, but kind of pair in your heart and in your head the, the 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 good stuff, you know, the good stuff that's happening with your book and you're promoting it and that's exciting and and you wrote a book and that's amazing and you know the horrors that are happening in war and uh, you know anti-trans bills across the country and like how do you personally like hold those truths and honor both those things in your in your heart. Yeah,
2: that's a great question. I think, um, you know, with the book itself, I've really tried to focus on the journey, like I do with most things in life and not get hung up on like an agenda, I suppose. So, it's less about the numbers and more about the conversations. And so, You know, the subtitle of the book is Solving the Empathy Crisis, One Conversation at a Time. And I was in a session, um, I see an intuitive healer here in the Bay Area every so often. And I had a session with her a couple months ago, and she was, you know, reiterating to me, like, don't get hung up on the numbers, you know. Ride the currents of the river, let all of this happen. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is one conversation at a time. It, it's the subtitle of my book. It stares at me, you know, every time I look at the book. And so what I'm trying to focus on is one conversation at a time and recognizing every connection that I'm able to make, whether it's truly an individual conversation or it's one like we're having, which will then get magnified um, and amplified because of your audience and the people Mm -hmm. that are tuning in, they're, they're hearing that. And, and they're hearing, they're going to hear in this case, you know, some things about empathy and the way that I think about it and approach it. And it helps them reflect on their own lives. And that, each conversation is then making the world a better place, and so mm-hmm. I I I know that I know that truth that kind of mission in my life is now come out. I've birthed it, I suppose you would say, mm-hmm. um, and so it's out in the world for people to start to engage with. And it can be a, a counterpoint to all the bad things that are going on. And it is, you know, if if people were to come at it from a place of empathy. It would solve, you know, and, and empathy is about understanding other people, whether on an emotional level or a cognitive perspective level, you could avert a lot of the issues that we have if people would come together and, and talk things out from an empathetic place. Yeah, so yeah. I try to see what I'm doing as a counter to all of the the awful things that are going on and the hate that's that's sort of out there. Um I had a, uh, I did, did my very first in-person reading a couple of weeks ago in Vallejo, which is a smaller suburb of, of the Bay Area. And we were able to arrange uh, for the local paper to cover the event. Hmm. And they wrote about it ahead of time. And it was the, the event was on a Sunday. And they put the event above the fold on the front page. And it was actually above Russia um, and Ukraine and what was going on. And I absolutely loved that. Uh, it was a little weird at first but i was like no this is an example of like good triumphing over evil like there's mm. a positive message that's getting out there over the negative uh stuff that's there i'm just looking to see if i've got a photo of it i can show you so it's like the uh, times herald yeah. and you know there it is i'm sharing empathy and then like the russia stuff is is down there below and and that is what i see ultimately and hope that we're headed towards is that things like empathy and and the positive connection that we can all have is going to triumph over the the shadow mm-hmm. um, and the darkness that's out there.
1: I love that. It's something I say on this podcast all day, every day, which is uh, one heart at a time. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I, I, as a helper type person, I just, I can get overwhelmed easily, you know, I can take it too far in my in my imagination, right? You know, even in my empathy, I could take it too far, right? So, uh, being aware of my boundaries with it, being aware um, of my usefulness, right, uh, is 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 crucial part of it. And and one way I do that, yeah, is having conversations. Certainly, the other piece of it, I wonder if you've thought about is, I'm sure you have. What you're saying is partially understanding and accepting what you can do, what yeah. you physically, individually can do with your with your heart, with your head, with the
2: time, with your energy, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's um, figuring out and understanding how we can show up and mm-hmm. what the best way is that we can show up. And as you mentioned, I, I call myself an empathy activist. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I love the tension in those two words because you don't necessarily think of empathy and activism going together. But to me, activism I do.
1: I do actually and have for a long time.
2: Good, good. Thank yeah. you. And 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 I encourage other people to do that. And I encourage other people to use that term. I do not own it. Empathy is radical. It is. It absolutely it's, is. And it's hard.
1: And it's ongoing and it's active and it like brings up a great
2: deal of discomfort if you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It is not easy at all. And so I think about, you know, you don't have to necessarily, that doesn't, it doesn't mean that I'm marching in the streets necessarily, but it does mean that I'm showing up with empathy in my engagement. So, one heart to another, one conversation at a time, mm-hmm. the messages that I'm trying to put out. And yeah, it is understanding like, what can I do? And if, if each one of us just does that is more empathetic in one conversation in one interaction whether it's with the clerk at the grocery store or it's with a loved one or it's with somebody that you've been in conflict with mm-hmm. you can change so many things around from that because it is you know the 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 pebble thrown into the pond and the ripples effect that that can have and okay you you've created a positive experience with this other person what are they going to go on and do how is that mm-hmm. going to change their perspective or their day and therefore they're going to be better and better mm-hmm. um and you know and so on and so on and it just continues to carry on from there
1: i love the idea and i think what what i've seen in and sort of talking about empathy the past four or five years and leading empathy workshops and and, and doing stuff like that, empathy is a, a very effective and useful and powerful tool, right? And it's also something that I think is, like a lot of things in life, uh, perceived in a one dimensional way and then taken for granted, right? Yep. So to use the example of like, you know, the checkout person at the grocery store, right? There's a lot that can happen internally before even that conversation happens, right? Can you talk a little bit about that work, the internal stuff?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, ultimately, that's what my book is all about, is the five steps to empathy. Because I found, I mean, I I remember when the University of Michigan came out with a study of studies and 40% decline in empathy among college students, you know, Mm -hmm. starting in 2001 compared to previous decades and it never really moved from there, it never rebounded. And you know, we see it it playing out now. And when that came out, there was a there was some outcry of like, oh, we need to be more empathetic. But nobody was really explaining how to do it. They were mm-hmm. saying like, oh, you need to go to the restaurants then or watch the news, you know, sources that the other people do or listen to their music. And it's like, well, yeah, but if you have judgment when you're going into that you're never going to be able to get to a place of asking questions or actively listening you're never going to get to empathy mm-hmm. and and what i found was no one was explaining how to do it um and and in a way that was you know understandable and relatable because to your point yeah people are afraid of empathy when i give talks on empathy, I often have a, a an image that I show of, of people in a movie theater watching what must be a horror film, they have this really scared reaction. And I'm like, it. and the title that I have on the card says, you know, it's the E word people are afraid of. Mm. And it is, it's like emotion. And a lot of people are afraid of emotion and they're afraid mm. of empathy because they think that empathy is always emotional or that mm. I have to give up my point of view to see somebody else's point of view. And mm. it's like, no, that's not the case. But then, yeah, so in that, how do you do it? How do you get there? What we've found, you know, so we identified these five steps and that's what I I write about. And I use my own stories um, and I get pretty vulnerable and open and honest about my own experiences to help people understand the steps and give them the opportunity to reflect on how it shows up in their own life and their Mm -hmm. own behaviors so that they can make a choice to, to do differently. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the five steps, I mean, it starts with dismantling judgment. If you can't get beyond that brick wall or those noise canceling headphones that you've got on, you're never going to hear or connect with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then you have to ask good questions. You've got to be open and exploratory in the way that you're talking with people and and framing things up where somebody can respond in a way that is going to be true for them and take you where they are mm-hmm. rather than them, you know, affirming your biases and, and whatever agenda you might have. Mm-hmm. Third step is then active listening. And that's all about that being present and really listening and using your senses, not just your ears, but you know, what are you intuiting? What are you seeing? What are you smelling if you're you're physically in the room in the same space? And then finally, integrating into understanding is the fourth step. And so that is that like, hey, make room in your head. It doesn't mean you have to give up your own point of view, but just make room in your head that like you like chocolate ice cream, somebody else might like vanilla, and that's okay. And that you want to be curious about that perspective and, and integrate that so that you can finally in step five, what I call use solution imagination, which is. Stepping into the shoes, imagining what it might be like to be that other person, or or, or as you're engaging with them, ask questions and, and continue the engagement from that place of empathy, hmm. and where the you know all of that can go. Hmm.
1: I love that. I you know, it's funny. I like I, I I appreciate that you're writing about empathy and talking about it, and then there's a part of me that's like how dare he try to put it in five steps like that. That's, that's, that's capitalism. That's the system at work. Uh, but I get it. Like, that's what, that's, that's how we learn. And that's like a, a, yeah. a framework, uh, or, res- you know, a, I guess a framework with how we learn. Um, and in addition to that, there's so much nuance in each of those oh. steps. That's <laughs> like, like starting with judgment, right? For instance, how can one even be aware of their own judgment? Like, what does that look like? How do I even like define what judgment means for me? Right? Yeah. Um, what does judgment mean in our communities? What does it mean within myself? Am I judging myself? Is that a piece of it? Right? There's just so much there that I love, and I what I love about the work of empathy and thinking about it. It's really, in my mind, and I'm I'm a dreamer, utopian guy. It's a reflection of the universe. This, the universe is messy and weird, and and uh, incomprehensible at times, and magnificent, right? And so much nuance, and so much that we don't know, and so much that we do know, and all of it made more beauty by curiosity yeah. and asking questions and seeking and and shedding and changing and transforming every day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the we want to because of protection, because of the way we were raised, etc. Hunker down. We want to like build up, right? Um, but really, and and of course, you know, we need to protect ourselves at times, and that's part of it. But really, the real work, when we feel safe enough to do so, is to ev- always be shutting, right? Always be dismantling the systems internally and externally, so we can really truly get to the heart of empathy work yeah
2: yeah oh absolutely and you know it's the i what I, my hope is is that the five steps gives people as you called it it is a framework it's a yeah. it's a starting point yeah and so if you're aware that oh hey there might be judgment there maybe you'll catch yourself and maybe you'll mm-hmm. Be able to dismantle it. Maybe you won't cast dispersion on somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then get, you'll be able to get to those other steps. Is it going to happen all the time? Absolutely not. And I was so, when I was writing the book, I was like, I don't want people to think that I'm just this like, you know, perfect human being because I am not. I am a work in progress like everyone. Yep. And I call that out at the beginning and at the end of the book. Like, I still work on this judgment. You know, I, I, one thing I, I say in the book, it's like, my family judgment is like a dominant gene in my family we are born brown eyed and judgy and that's just how we come out mm-hmm. and you've got to like work through that in order to be more to get to empathy mm-hmm. um and it does take this like metacognition this just like self awareness of What is about to come out of my mouth, and where is that coming from, and how might that be received by the other person? Yeah. And, and yeah, what are all the things that are layering into that? I love it. Um, Yeah.
1: So, you mentioned that you brought some of your stories into the book. You got a little vulnerable, which I appreciate. You know, vulnerability connects us. Uh, Can you share a little bit of like maybe one of the stories you brought into the
2: book? Yeah, I mean the the book is kind of like a series of nesting dolls. So at mm. the core are the the five steps to to empathy and just that understanding, but then that is delivered through my own experiences doing marketing research and do going into people's homes and hanging out with them for a couple of hours and getting to know them and you know interviewing them, having conversations. Um and many times I was challenged with judgment of my own or I you know either did ask a good question and can share where that led to or or I didn't or when I was actively listening and all of that. so mm. so I use my stories from research to, to bring that to life. but then the kind of big meta arc is my own journey to understanding empathy and, and using empathy as my superpower. and so the book opens up um, with my childhood, and I grew up in a, a pretty small town in Indiana and my family had moved into that town. And so we were other and, you know, it was fifth grade 1980 and the kids pretty quickly figured out that I was not like them. And I knew I wasn't like them, but I didn't have the language, the vocabulary, the awareness of exactly in what way, because hi, I was in fifth grade and it was 1980 yeah. in Indiana. And so, they started to talk. One of the students got the bright idea to tell everybody that I was gay. And that caught on like wildfire. And so, I got really good at understanding how to navigate those uh, the, the hallways, basically, so that I wouldn't get beaten up, that I could manage the rumors or try to you know, control it if you could. Um, and empathy became a big part of that. Um, and I was, and I write in the book, I mean, I did contemplate suicide um, when I was in sixth grade, like the pain was just so great. I came, I'd come home from school in tears, but then hiding it from my parents. Cause I didn't want them to ask me. I didn't like, you know, it was like, I knew I was different somehow. And I didn't know how they were going to necessarily respond, mm. you know, and it was even like going to the principal. I couldn't, do that because, well, what if he asked me if what the kids were saying was true? And that lying is not something that I comes naturally to me, so I'd have to be honest and say, "Well, yeah, I am." And well, then what? You know, mm-hmm. like, well, then so you were out to
1: yourself at that point, but not to others necessarily
2: in the idea that there was something different about me. And I kind of had yeah. had this idea that I would started hearing, I mean, obviously when the kids were calling me gay, I had to find out like, mom, what's gay. <laughs> and that's really weird as, as, you know, 10, 12 years old, having your mother explain homosexuality to you mm-hmm. in, you know, in that sense. And there was always just something about it where I was like, yeah, that, that there's something about that, that I connect to. Mm-hmm. So I had some understanding that that might be where I was, even though I was prepubescent at that point, you know, there were no sexual fantasies yeah. at then. So I had some understanding of it and, and yeah, navigating that was really challenging. And I started to use empathy then to Get along with the other kids mm-hmm. and hear their stories. And by doing that, you know, it's the kind of Dale Carnegie thing of people just like to talk about themselves. So if I could get people to talk about themselves and I could show empathy with them, perhaps when I'm, you know, when a rumor starts or somebody wants to go beat me up or chase me down the hallway or whatever, perhaps they will maybe not come to my rescue, but tampen the tamper down the situation mm. or you know help me in some way
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so i started using empathy like all throughout that and and it so it was it was a challenging childhood for me um particularly in those first few years so that's kind of the opening of the book and and what was going on and how that my my peter parker spider bite you know <laughs> origin story moment yeah and then the book closes with me going back to my 30th high school reunion. And because I was able to use empathy and, you know, at that point, I mean, I was already writing the book and was thinking about these things. And I noticed that my classmates were sharing their stories and their experiences from their childhood. And I was hearing things that I didn't know of where, you know, the emotional abuse from a parent, the, drinking, the all the different things, the mental health issues that were happening. Mm-hmm. And it finally, it just dawned on me. I was like, oh my God, we are all just wounded animals. Like we were just bumping into each other. This had nothing to do with me. This was about that. Like they, they were hurt and it doesn't excuse what they did, but I was able to have forgiveness and reach yeah. forgiveness because I had empathy. I understood where that, what was going on for them finally, Mm. And that was a, a a big turning point for me and my own kind of healing process and kind of coming to terms with with what's been what I've been going through in my life.
0: Mm.
1: I love that, and thank you for sharing. And I'm sorry you had a tough time. Um, that makes sense. Uh, 1980, rural Indiana. That makes sense. That feels that feels tough. And I, I I've heard from others who have had maybe similar experiences this sort of finding protection in trying to befriend everyone right mm-hmm. which is so fascinating it's like such a interesting like trauma response <laughs> like let's make everyone like me uh which is uh, you know and and the same is true of everyone else right they're all trying to figure it out and middle school is just so hard and can be brutal um I'm grateful that you got out of it, not out of it, but I'm grateful you found some insight and you were able to give, you know, yourself a little bit of grace and, and, and even them a little bit of perspective. Um, cause yeah, you, one can move on from that and feel, you know, feel fuck them. Right. Like, and that's, that's, un- that would be understandable. Right.
2: You yeah. Know? Yeah. And you know, it's, um, Just last week, we were having. We do every other Friday. We do a what we call coffee talk, and so forty five minutes. Everybody in the company comes together, and we talk about everything other than work. And the day before, two employees who are both based in Minneapolis, they sent around a photo. They realized that they were in the same like community ice review ice skating review back oh, when wow. they were like 10 years old or something and there's a, you know so we were all trying to guess like who they were or whatever and so we got on and you know, i said hey come to coffee talk and like we'll talk about this and find out who, which who was who so we were having the, the coffee talk and they're talking about it and i'm having flashbacks to oh yeah when i was in soccer and tried to do soccer in this small town. And the coach who was my pediatrician had me on the bench the whole time mm-hmm. and playing soccer in Indiana in October, it's cold, it's wet. And sitting on the bench is not what you want to be doing. You want to be running around. Yeah. Um, and I started to talk about that. And I had some like bowling memory that I brought up. And one of my colleagues was like, oh, I had these awesome experiences, you know, in, in, different programs in athletics when she was a child. And it just, I was like, oh, wow. Like not everybody had those traumatic sorts of experiences. That was kind of unique to me. And my husband who works at the company was, you know, and we talked about it afterward and he, and I know he's had those same sort of traumas, but not everybody has lived that experience. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, it was a moment of me realizing like, oh, I can't make that assumption. I can't have judgment about that. Um, I need to have empathy with like, hey, some people did have, or that part of their childhood was positive and a good experience. They've had other wounds maybe, and that mine was different. And, And so, the way that you come together and engage with each other, you can't just assume Everybody grew up exactly like you. Everybody had a bucolic childhood. Everybody had that picture perfect thing. Like, no. Yeah. And it's different for everyone, the experiences that we have.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely right. And I, you know, I, it's interesting, you know, when you're kids, you're, you're really just, you're really just trying to survive all of us. Right. And, and, and so when you are in that space, it can be, very kind of narrow, you know, and you're not maybe, I guess, I guess what I'm reflecting on is like, do you think about, or do you talk to kids about this stuff? Right. Cause I, I feel like this stuff has to happen like much sooner than, you know, I'm, I'm in my early forties. You're, you're, I'm in my Uh, early fifties. You're a human in his early fifties. You know, I've been working with this stuff the last few years. You have been, you know, studying this stuff. But like empathy wasn't a concept I was even aware of. Like, uh, you know, I I knew the word, but like it was never something that I would find in a a text in a classroom, right, or anything like that. And I'm grateful that we're talking about it more. But like. I'm hoping that either through your work, the book, you know, the workshops. You do you? I, I guess the question is: Do you do? Do you go into
2: classrooms? Yeah, I do. Um, I've s- been speaking more at the university level yeah. to college students so far. Um, I've been getting as the book has come out. I have had educators at the high school level reaching out and saying, "Like, wow, this is." You know, would this be appropriate for high school, you know, boys or whomever? Mm-hmm. And and I believe that it is, but I'm not an educator, and I always say, like, I am not an educator, so I can't, I don't know enough to say, oh yeah, and use it this way. Yeah. Um. But I am interested in exploring that. But when I talk to college students about it, and you probably find the same thing, they they need it. They, they're they hungry for it because they're figuring out at that transition point in their life, like how they want to show up in the world. Mm-hmm. And they've already decided they want to show up differently than the older generations. And they're looking for the tools in how to actually behave and and be and exist with each other. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a scary time for a lot of people. And it's it, for many people, it's the first time that they're on their own, right? And so... Yeah creating that or, or trying to find that identity piece can be super scary, just terrifying. And, and, you know, uh, if you're not being taught the tools to, to relate and to examine our biases and assumptions and things, it, it's going to be harder. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it's, I know that the stuff that I've done in college classrooms has been very helpful and, and, um, I've heard you know wonderful things and I, I, I'd like to get into you know doing workshops in high schools, even even trying to elementary school. Like, I, I feel like this stuff can be taught even earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of how do we how do we break down these very complex concepts? Uh, and starting with some basics, right? Some basic ways to do that, and I and I've seen, I've seen it done. I've done research, and I've seen there's ways to do it. It's just, yeah. it takes time and effort and energy, like anything worth doing. Yeah, you know? and it's
2: one heart at a time, one conversation at a time. So yeah, yeah. How has
1: your interest in empathy and 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 sort of I mean, you have this thing called empathy camp, which I'm endlessly fascinated by, and you lead workshops. Like, how has this work impacted your own relationship with your partner?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> there's the time away from my partner um, and the conflicting kind of "I need this done" help um, piece of it. But my my husband is incredibly empathetic. He's a he's a highly sensitive person so it's interesting for him protecting himself he does that with judgment Mm. um and and so that's an interesting kind of dynamic to see play out and Mm -hmm. and you know i certainly am not going to be the you shouldn't be you know you should have empathy here because he knows um but i try to 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 show up that way but i have over the years and through my own journey of self discovery and awareness and therapy and intuitive healers and all of that. I think the way we engage has grown, um, mm. and the way we see each other. And I probably do, no, probably, I do use empathy in, you know, and to reflect back that I am listening, um, mm-hmm. and that I'm hearing what he's saying and, and connecting, um, it's so challenging with your spouses because, you know, you're around them more than anybody else. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's... Thank you for sharing that. It, it is It is hard, right? Like, um, you're around them more than anyone and you know them the most. And you know, you know, at least I'll speak for me. I know Jessica... More than anyone, right? And I know her background, and I know the things that light her up, and the things that frustrate her, you know. And and so sometimes, like holding all of that can be hard uh, in the in the context of empathy, uh, in terms of connection, and 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 doing it in a way that's that's useful and helpful. Um, but I, I I would say for sure that me sort of thinking about this stuff has helped me be a better listener, right? Has helped me, um, you know, I, I think 10 years, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had the capacity for it. You know, I wouldn't have been able to, like, I might've been more angry in moments or frustrated in moments where now I can, uh, not always, but take pause and step back and listen and, and, understand that it's not about me or you know things like that are really helpful in relationship with with
2: anyone yeah yeah and actually one other thing with um my husband charles his both of his parents have read the book now and they're uh in their early 90s Mm. and there's um it, it it their relationship has been challenged, um, you know, over the years, and not necessarily feeling seen um, by them. Mm. But now that they've actually read the book, they, it's changed the way they're interacting with him. Oh, they're wow. actually like asking him questions and listening to answers, and um, to just have greater awareness of how they're sort of showing up. And they're ninety-one years old. That's pretty amazing to me. Um, that is amazing. Yeah, and and so I think there's some, you know there is some good that's coming out of it, um, and that's certainly that certainly helped us. But but yeah, that something that you said, it's like when you know so much about that other person. I mean, there that's a lot. Like there's and that can, that can be used for good, and that can be used for not, not so good. And, yeah. You know, so you know the buttons to press or. Yes. Uh, the the buttons to press to relieve the pressure. Um, mm-hmm. And it's great responsibility that that goes along with that. And there's so much trust mm-hmm. that's there as well.
1: Yeah. Well, and th- that's another component of empathy that I think is crucial is, is safety, right? Yeah. You know, um, we're going to have our guard up. We're going to have our barriers up or armor if we don't feel safe. Right. And so, you know, part of it is is coming up with a mutually agreed upon definition of safety for each other, for our communities, for our partnerships, for our friends. Yeah. Right? Do you think about safety? What that means?
2: Um, yeah, to a certain extent I think if I'm thinking about like emotional safety or Mm -hmm. um feeling safe to be vulnerable which to me is that's emotional safety
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I've I don't know when I started doing this but I've always been pretty open about my life um because I found that when you keep secrets that gives somebody power over you if they know your secret. And hmm, if interesting. I, you know, if I don't want others so if I'm just tell you like it is, then you're not going to be able to like the you can't have that power dynamic over me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So to me, and I you know, I uh, yeah, there are probably things that are levels of privacy or or degrees of privacy of course, <laughs> but generally you know, by my sharing something, actually, it might help you open up about something that you're going through, or yeah. just seeing me for who I am and accepting me, and then not letting you have that power over me, mm-hmm. um, and and keeping that dynamic mm. um, mm-hmm. in 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 balance, I guess. Mm. Um, but i've also i've always found it was interesting when i set out to write the book like i didn't want to write something that was going to be really didactic and like you must do this to be empathetic because yeah, yeah. i have just always found like that's not how people listen to me they listen when i tell stories and when i talk about my own experiences and when i share and then they learn something from that and mm-hmm. and i think that's probably how most of us learn uh, generally. And so I wanted to try to have that approach in the book. And, and I think I achieved that. But mm. um, yeah, yeah, mm. I, I, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. topic of safety.
1: Yeah, it is. I, I think I've been thinking about it a lot lately because I, I lead these monthly emotional check ins with Feely Human. And it's, uh, you know, I have to, Come into that and understand that we all have maybe a different definition of what that means, right? Mm. And we, you know, we we all bring our individual experiences, right? You know, I'm coming to the fold as a white cis, you know, man uh, of privilege, right. Uh, who's had experiences with anorexia or childhood trauma, I have clinical depression, things like that. Like these are all sort of like pieces of the fabric or the quilt, right? <clears throat> and sometimes they inform, sometimes they don't. But like bringing, I, th- I think the work is like bringing all of that and bringing awareness to all of it and and being open to the person's wholeness is kind of part of that and, and getting into that for each of us and, and t- determining within that intersectionality like what safety means because if i say one tenant of my safety is for us to assume positive intent um that doesn't necessarily mean the other person's gonna have that as part of their definition right um I mean, probably, but you know, like, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, I mean, that that might've been a bad example, but you know what I mean? I think like, I, I think the work of empathy is in understanding that we all have yes, universal connective human experience and all very different and all very valid. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I think about it often.
2: Well, and it's, um, I realized as you were talking and I was thinking about safety, and I'm I was like, oh, I know where my truth to power comes from. Mm. Because effectively what was happening when I was a kid was I had a secret that I didn't totally understand what the secret was. But the other kids had figured it out and they were like making my life a living hell as a result of it. So I wouldn't say I have an aversion to secrets, certainly, but I've seen the negative effect of them Mm -hmm. um and to me it's like yeah i'm a gay man and so what (laughs) like how is that affecting your life
1: yeah yeah well it was interesting before you were talking about safety the way that you framed it was like it felt to me like almost like a, I'm going to get ahead of this before you do. Like, I, I, I'm i one-upping you in a way, which is interesting. That's like a yeah. protective measure.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's very astute of you. I, I, that is probably true. <laughs> you can't, I, yeah, I, you're not going to hold anything over me because I'm going to just tell you what it is ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel you. And I, I found my my. I think he'll be okay with me talking about this. Um, my husband was going through an episode 15 years ago with depression and anxiety and it needed to, he was going through a graduate program. Um, and he needed to withdraw from some classes. And I, you know, I was encouraging it. Oprah was on at the time, and her show was kind of encouraging that of like just own your truth, speak your truth. And you'll be surprised at what can happen from that. And he went to the dean of the the program, and he was honest with her about what was going on. And she was incredibly supportive and even opened up about her own struggles Mm. um, with depression and mental health issues and things she was going through. And similarly, a couple of his um, classmates, he shared what was happening and, and heard very similar sorts of stories that you wouldn't have known otherwise. And, and so it, it became yeah. a very good experience for him to step back and, and do the self-care before he re-engaged with the program. Mm. And it probably felt good for them to also know that kind of connectedness and that sharing. And yeah. so again, it's like, there's, there's no shame. Don't be ashamed of it. Just own it yeah. and be, be honest about it. And, you know, I I suppose like my brain goes to all the different things somebody could be ashamed of. And there are some things where restitution is needed or whatever, but own it and, and try to move, move through it.
1: Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm going to take a quick pause because my puppy is. So I'd love to hear. I, I recently, like just a few days ago, Rob, I, I lost my job, my day job. Oh, okay. I'm out of a day job for the first time in seven years It feels weird and scary and maybe hopeful but I the experience of it I won't get into details yet it's still a little raw but it was it felt dehumanizing it felt like deeply lacking in empathy uh, the process of it and and i I wonder for you what does empathy at work look like to you like how can uh, leaders and and employees and peers like do better at empathy in the context yeah. of work.
2: Um. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Um, Thank you. You know the I've been let go, laid off a couple times in my career, and they ultimately led to much, much better things. So, um, but it's hard to see that in the moment as you're wrestling with all the what the hell why me for sure brr, for sure brr, shake my fist i'm never buying your product again <laughs> fuck the man exactly exactly <laughs> um but it's a big challenge right now that organizations are facing finally facing the need to be more empathetic in their engagements with their employees and um one study that came out last summer found that like 90 percent of gen z have indicated they'll stay at an employer, that's more empathetic, like Mm. there's a lot of loyalty. And yet another study found that only one in four employees found that the empathy levels in their organization are sufficient. So there's a real like gap um, for us to, to overcome what I counsel and there I mean, and, and letting people go is I've had to do it myself. And it is traumatic. It's traumatic on the person it's happening to. It's generally hard for the the manager or whoever has to do that, no matter how stone-faced they might be or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are ways to be more empathetic and, you know, respectful, I think, um, in the way that the message is being delivered in the, you know, the, the, The organization probably needs to do it to survive because of whatever might be going on in that particular moment. Yeah. But you're still affecting an individual's livelihood, their sense of self-worth. And so how do you um, make them feel supported in that separation process and using more empathetic language, um, you know, and and there is just so much shock that happens in that, you know, the, yeah the wait what <laughs> <I> yeah <laughs> didn't see that coming um so on a daily basis though for an organization that, so there's there's in that moment and how do you um you know part ways with somebody with grace and dignity that leaves everybody somewhat intact uh, rather than tattered um on a day-to-day basis it's really about, people taking the time to listen to each Mm. other and and not just talk about work like you got time for that like let's talk about the real stuff like what are you watching on netflix how do you feel about that let's you know connect what let's talk about ukraine because oh my god yeah um and and taking the time to connect on that level as people
0: Mm.
2: rather than this like you know, Orwellian sort of vision of us all as automatons working, you know, the the, the focus on productivity and do-do-do-do-do, make things happen, because that's not who we are. We're people, and we show up as people. And, you know, one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is this understanding, a greater understanding of, yeah, we are all people, and we've got things going on, and we need to have the space to deal with the, that so as a if you're a manager take the time to ask the questions you know if you've got a 30 minute update with your employee take the first 10 or 15 minutes and just shoot the shit. talk about whatever's happening and be vulnerable be open about yourself and what you're going through yeah it's not showing weakness it's actually you know and, and that's the thing it's like if we can change the perception of vulnerability you know, which by the nature of the word and how it gets used is seen as weakness. Yeah. What's the vulnerable spot? Where's the weakness? But it's actually a strength, you know? Mm-hmm. And as we were talking earlier about secrets and my share, you know, it's, there's power in being vulnerable. Um, and so how do you start to look at things that way and start to move through the world that way? How do you start to ask different questions? So instead of saying like, you know, why were you late to work today? Why was that report late? Whatever the situation is, it's like, what's going on? Tell me about. Tell me about what happened with that report. That's taking a question. You need to understand why the report was later. Why the employee showed up later. Whatever. Um, but instead of attacking them using that pointed "why" word, you're using other ways to let them open up and share what's going on. You know, use. tell me more about that. It's a really easy way. Tell me more about what was going on with that report. Mm -hmm. Tell me about what's happening. Why is there? Tell me about that kid doing cartwheels in your background. You know,
1: I love that. There's less there's less assumption in that versus the the why question is there's an assumed negative in there. There's assumed you did wrong, right? Right. Yeah,
2: right. I it's not that. it's not trying to get to a positive outcome. It's a, it's assigning blame. And you know, why is such a loaded word for all of us? Because from the time we were, you know, three years old, we were asked why. Why did you draw on the wall with crayon? Why did, I you did cut that. Your sister's I hand? drew on the wall? Yeah. I remember
1: in kindergarten drawing on the wall, I got a black mark. Like there was like a physical, like paper, like black mark. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. I know.
0: <laughs>
2: and so we get asked why so many times throughout. And it's always because we've done something wrong. So when you are perceived something wrong. Yeah. And so, you know, now, like when you ask me why, it's like, oh, I want to dodge that. Like, I feel uncomfortable. I don't want to answer that. Versus if you would say to me. Tell me what's going on. About what are you feeling? With how is that affecting you? Like, there's so many ways, and then mm-hmm. you know, English is such a wonderful language, and you know, so many different ways of asking why without using the word why. Mm-hmm. I love that. And do you
1: with your with Ignite three hundred and sixty? Do you do this work in businesses? You talked yeah. about this. Though?
2: Oh, great! So, yeah, so that empathy camp that you mentioned is a training program that we offer, and you know everything that we do is very bespoke. So clients come to us with a challenge, a situation, and then we develop a, a program, whether it's a research program or a training program that fits the, their needs and their situations. Um, and sometimes we'll wrap empathy training in. Um, um, consumer engagement. So, you're meeting Mm. with your customer and you're interacting with them as a a kind of capstone to an empathy training course. Other times, it's a little bit more presenting and telling stories and having people work through things in small groups. Mm. Um, But empathy, you know, it's used in so many things in our lives, and so many skills have empathy as a foundation to it. So, if you're able to uh, use empathy to be more to be a better communicator a better collaborator be more persuasive at work to come up with better ideas that's going to make you a better employee manager leader person parent partner yeah. spouse all yeah. the things all the things
1: yeah i mean i i suppose like the the way that we need to sell it is like yes it'll make your employees more productive or more happy right um, and that is true I think that's true it is and and, and in inlaid in there is the it would also bring more nuance emotionally and more a deeper understanding of self and a deeper understanding of our collective connection and our collective, connection and intent and impact and how we show up in the world, all of that hopefully sort of comes sort of under the surface as sort of like the Trojan horse of sorts.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And by doing that, um, by doing that, you are creating, you know, as I said, 90% of Gen Z want to stay at companies that are more empathetic and people with more, there's other data out there from last year where people that have more empathetic managers, they navigate work-life balance better than people that don't have empathetic leaders. They Mm. are more likely to stay at an organization. People of color are more likely to stay at an organization where they feel like there is empathy uh, in the organization and in their leadership. So, by taking the time to have those connections, make those connections, you're actually creating a more loyal workforce, a more dedicated workforce, and ultimately then a more productive workforce, which is ultimately what a business is looking for, and they're hopefully going to be happier as well. Yeah, yeah. So that just benefits everybody then.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I appreciate that you do that work in businesses. It's it's crucial. It is. Yeah, I love it.
2: And all of the people that you might talk to that are on an individual level, they show up at work too. Yeah. So you know, it's that three hundred and sixty of who we are as humans, and and that's why you know empathy is important at work and at home. You know, in all aspects of our life.
1: Yep. It's not a. Uh, it's not a checkbox. It's not a one dimension. It's a uh, everyday, ongoing, messy, and active. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. One hundred percent. 360. I like that. Now I get it. Ignite 360. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, exactly. I got to it. Um, So let's talk about Empathy Heroes, Rob. This is the part of the show where uh, you and I uh, mention someone in our lives could even be a character from a story we love or a movie Someone who is one of our empathy heroes, who uh, embodies empathy and compassion and hope. Uh, I will go first to give you a moment to reflect on your empathy hero. So when this episode comes out, dear listeners, uh, it will be, I guess it will be the third week of maybe the last week in April. Um, And I wanted to just say that my Empathy Hero is, maybe this is self-serving, but I don't care. Uh, My Empathy Hero is that my new journal, Dear Childhood Me, uh, which came out April 4th and is closing its sale May 4th. This is a product, a project I've been working on for the past year. Uh, conceived of it two years ago and it's finally here and I'm selling it and I'm very proud of it and I think it will help a lot of people connect to their inner child, give your inner child a lot of love and attention and nourishment and I'm very proud of it And so if you're listening to this now, please if you haven't ordered one, go order 10, 20 even a hundred if you're a business and you want some. I have bulk options too. Go to dearchildhoodme.com. That's dearchildhoodme.com. That's just a self-promo thing that I'm inserting into my Empathy Hero segment. How about you,
2: Rob? <laughs> as you should, as you should. Um, you know, the first thing that came to my mind, I mean, there's so many people that have inspired me with empathy, but I'm going to actually uh, say Wonder Woman. Nice because she is all about truth and compassion and love. And those values line up really like kind of straight on with what I'm all about. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that was something that kept me, you know, I I grew up in the period of Linda Carter as wonder woman back in the day. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, gave me hope, um, and, and a sense of, you know, yeah, we can make a better world out there.
0: Mm.
1: Great one. It's a great empathy hero. I don't know if uh, Wonder Woman has been said. Uh, I think Spider-Man has been said, uh, but no one from the DC universe. So good on you. There you go. I'm <laughs> representing
2: DCU. There you go. There you go. Uh, I love it. And, well, and I will say Gal Gadot has done an amazing job. Of, and that that yeah. is what has made her successful, is she's captured that essence, which is mm-hmm. what Linda Carter captured. I believe it's like that essence of that character and that compassion and the truth and, and mm-hmm. the love um, of humanity.
1: Yeah. I really love that first Wonder Woman with, with Gal Gadot. Uh, it was great. Yeah. The second one, not so much. I feel like it was a bit messy, but I, I think she's great as Wonder Woman for sure.
2: Yeah. 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 The, the, the first one is... It, You'll never replicate her running across that battlefield. like yeah you just that Super that inspiring. moment that is is everything. and yeah. you can't have that in the second movie. Um, I was very happy with the second movie, but I yeah, is it perfect? No. <laughs> um, but I enjoyed it. It was Wonder Woman, you yeah. know and yeah. and so I was happy. That was, was a wonderful Christmas for me.
1: <laughs> nice. Uh well Rob uh where can the listeners out there order your book, connect with you, learn more about all the wonderful work you're doing in the world? Thank you.
2: Yes. So um the book is available wherever books are sold, where you buy books. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Bookshop Indie uh indieshop.org um or indie Books. So yeah, your local bookseller, wherever you buy, uh, it's available in hardcover as well as on ebook. There is an audio book that will be coming out in May. I don't have that exact date, but it is coming in May. Um, so they can find the book. You can find me. Uh, you can go to five to empathy.com. That's the uh, number five, steps to empathy.com. And then of course, on social media, on empath- on Instagram, I'm empathy activist, empathy underscore activist. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, If you just search Rob Volpe, empathy activist, I will show up. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at rmvolpe.com or rmvolpe. Um, I even have a TikTok that I've not done too much with yet, but I have an idea. There you go. (laughs) As long as you have one idea. And Peloton, too. High-five me if you're a Peloton uh, Oh, wow. You're on all the places. You're everywhere, Rob. I'm, Absolutely. I'm, I'm only
1: on Instagram. <laughs> One Good conversation at a time. <laughs> there you go. One conversation <laughs> at a time. Yeah. That's that's achievable. That's doable. Well, uh, thank you for being a part of Empathy. I appreciate uh I'm grateful that this book exists. I'm happy for folks to... Read it and, and uh, order it. Um, bookshop.org is a great resource. Um, so, listeners, all of those links will be in the show notes at feelyhuman.co.
2: Thank you, Rob. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. This has been a refreshing and wonderful conversation. Agreed. Agreed.
1: And to you, listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together. On this wayward, overwhelming, awe inspiring pale blue dot, we have each other. It's you, me, empathy. La, la, la. La, la.